0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox Talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more, this is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
1: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, August 28, 2023, as we bring you a new episode. And, man, this past week has been something else. So I'm about 90% as my COVID symptoms are going away and I'll be exiting quarantine soon. But a few days ago, I was not feeling well enough to record another episode with Jim to discuss Bob Nigel's report that Chris Getz is the lead option to replace Rick Conn and Kenny Williams, while also adding former Kansas City Royals general manager Dane Moore. Then the White Sox were blown out by the Oakland Athletics, which is super embarrassing. To make matters worse, on Friday night, a 42-year-old woman suffered gunshot wound injuries inside the stadium. And to this day, at this moment, as we were recording, the Chicago Police Department still doesn't know if the shots came from inside or outside the stadium. But we do know, thanks to reporting, especially from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Police Department did request that the game to be stopped so they could investigate, but the White Sox decided to keep playing anyways. A fan bleeding in the left-field bleachers? That's nothing new. Fans fight there all the time. It did cause the cancellation of the Vanilla Ice concert due to, quote, technical issues, end quote, which that excuse didn't last a day when White Sox new press secretary, let's call him, Scott Reifert, Told the Chicago sometimes that they had to cancel the show so the police could investigate the shooting. Add in the relocation rumors, and oh, yeah, Rick Con and Kenny Williams were fired. It's been one of the craziest weeks in White Sox baseball history. Helping me to discuss Dante's 10th Circle of Hell, the Chicago White Sox, is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And, uh, Jim, is this the worst week in White Sox history? I think it probably has to be I was trying to think of like weeks that could be
2: worse like the Florida relocation threat and the vote in Illinois legislature like that had to be pretty terrible like I was too young to remember it I remember vaguely the story but not the actual day-to-day experience uh disco demolition was you know it's remembered fondly or quirkily now but it was also like a disaster when that happened uh and in an embarrassment um the Black Sox scandal, obviously probably like the, the court trial, but in terms of like variety of bad news and just one turn after another, uh, White Sox business of relocation dangling Nashville out there being the latest team to kind of throw Nashville as an idea and, and give fans with some Florida memories, some PTSD. Uh, you have the, uh you know, Kenny Williams or Rick Hahn getting fired. And then immediately, like, what, 13 hours later, uh, the rumors of their potential replacements uh, that uh, do not go over well. You have them getting uh, waxed by, you know, the Mariners in a series uh, that they, you know, were able to salvage, at least avoiding the split. But then the, you know, the A's humiliate them for the first two games. And then, yeah, the, the bullets. So, I mean, like, it's just a wide variety of bad news and most of it is self-inflicted and the thing that was the the most unlucky is also like the most severe when it comes to like the the well-being of your fans and you know watching yeah I guess we can start with that like watching the video of the section like I understand why the White Sox would not want to postpone the game and clear out the stadium because like the uh, alarm in the bleachers was very contained to like four or five rows it looked like uh the adjacent sections kind of were glancing over but not really seeing the deal um you didn't have like a, a flock of people like exiting uh so like if you had like a a stampede or like a chance of like you have people like you scrambling up the bleachers and causing panic elsewhere then yeah, you'd want to be on top of that and say like, yeah, we're clearing the stadium in an orderly manner. Yeah, there's there's no threat of a... We feel there's no threat of a an active shooter, but we do need to uh, communicate out loud. But given how muted uh, the response was, like I understand like not wanting to unnecessarily upset more people and cause that kind of stampede yourself, but when it follows everything the White Sox have done wrong all week long. You want to blame them. (laughs) You really want to point a finger and say, like, you caused this uh, just because it feels right. But, you know, it's I guess that's, you know, you make your own luck. And in this regard, like, you know, the White Sox obviously didn't invite bullets in the bleachers, but they invite the kind of skepticism and scrutiny and lack of, Good faith from the fans that suggests, like, yeah, oh, Reinsdorf just wanted them there for this concession money. Like, I really hope the White Sox did not have that attitude. Like, yeah, how many, how many, like a trolley problem. Like, how many fans can we sacrifice before the beer money isn't worth it? Like, I assume that wasn't going through their mind, but because they're such a poorly run franchise in every other way, like it does invite whether it's jokes, whether it's bitterness, whether it's actual people not believing they care. Yeah, everything seems to be on the table when it shouldn't be.
1: Yeah, it's it's disheartening to still not have any clarity on what happened on Friday night. Because to your point, Jim, for me as a season ticket holder, is my safety in jeopardy now? Mm-hmm. When when I'm going to the games, like we talked about it, and everyone talks about it, that goes to White Sox games, and just how big of a hassle it is to get inside the stadium. And it is because of the security checkpoints and it is because the White Sox are not using the most up-to-date security parameters that other stadiums are using Seattle. When I went to that game against the Baltimore Orioles, I had no idea it was Felix Hernandez like retirement day. Like they retired his number added him to the Mariners reign of honor and Sold out game because you know, Jim Felix Hernandez, well loved in Seattle. It took me 40 seconds to get through security and get my ticket scanned, where it would take almost like 20 to probably 40 minutes if it was the same type of crowd at Garrett T. Ray Field. And then this happened. And if it's not someone who brought in a gun inside the stadium, and if these bullets did come from outside. Of the stadium. Well there's not. To your point. There's not much that the White Sox could do. Like it is the flukiest of disasters that could happen. Like I, it's really hard to wrap my head around. And, and I hope that the fan. I hope she's fine. I hope she's okay. Like we haven't even got an update there. Maybe she doesn't want people to know or make it public in what happened to her. But I hope she's fine. Some type of update would be. Nice to hear that everything is good, but man, if you have bullets randomly falling into the stadium, what happened if that would, it would have hit Luis Robert, and Luis Robert falls to the ground, because now he's got a couple bullets lodged into his shoulder, because bullets from outside the stadium hit him, what would the White Sox have done then? It just feels like, and I know Daryl Van Scowen and the other staff reporters of the Sun-Times, and the Chicago Tribune's also been doing a very good job covering this story as well, so cap tip to the Chicago newspapers. Mm -hmm. But I think they did a really good job just talking to other White Sox fans and how there's, like, no trust now. There's zero. All trust has been broken. Like, it's gotten so bad that I don't even know if we should feel safe going into the stadium. And guess what's coming this week, Jim. 2024 season ticket renewals for the Chicago White Sox. So not only are you playing bad baseball, are you? Not only are you threatening to relocate. Not only are is the rumors right now that you're replacing Rickon and Kenny Williams with maybe a worse option in the front office. But now we can't even trust the safety procedures within the stadium. Like, why should anyone renew at this moment? Like, I love baseball as much as anyone else, but damn White Sox. You, they make it so difficult to follow them and to root for them, Jim. Like, that's why I, I yesterday on Twitter I said I, I didn't know if it had reached the 2016 craziness this season uh, because that was a very chaotic season in 2016. But after sleeping on it, mm-hmm. I do agree with those fans. This is the most chaotic season that we have covered and one of the most chaotic seasons in recent White Sox memory. And it's gotten so bad that, yeah, this is officially broken. And the only way this really gets fixed is new ownership. Like, at this moment, and we'll get to this topic in a, in a second here, listeners. Uh, it doesn't even matter who Jerry Reinstorf picks to replace Rick Hott and Kenny Williams. Mm-hmm. As long as Jerry Reinstorf's still around as long as everybody else, the remaining people that he is loyal to are continuing to help run this organization, especially when it comes to fan engagement and marketing, nothing is going to change for the Chicago White Sox until Jerry Reinstorf is no longer the chairman of the Chicago White Sox. Pretty much. Um,
2: Yeah. Reading the various Reviews of the Kenny Williams recon era written by national baseball writers or bloggers, analysts, etc. Um, they all did a very good job. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of like out of town stupid or not even out of town, st- I wouldn't even go so far as to say stupid, but just like uninformed or uh slightly ignorant. Like they're pr- all pretty much on it, and it's probably because you don't really have to update your priors all that often with the White Sox. Like how they were run in 2023 is how they were run in 2013, which is how they were run in 2003. You know, maybe a little bit different post-World Series uh, rather than before. Like, you know, Reinsdorf took on like a kinder air, I think, after the World Series when he accomplished like the only thing he wanted to do in baseball. And then it's been kind of mailing it ever since. But when you talk about like the business aspects of it, like, you know, you can go back to 93. And, you know, probably, you know, the mid 80s uh, with occlusion collusion and everything like that to like understand exactly where he comes from. And, you know, it all goes back to the idea that like if he wants to win, he wants to win the way he wants to win. Um, you know, if he really wanted to win, he would consider everything. He would revisit how he approaches owning the White Sox and spending money and investing and everything like that. And he never does. So you can't say he wants to win. He wants to win his way. And that's a very important two words or you know, a clause you put on or qualifier that you know, it has to be his way. And his way doesn't work. And he keeps going back to it, especially if it is Chris Getz uh, coming up next. You know, he's on the on-deck circle warming up, uh, you know, taking the uh, batting donut off his bat uh, and getting ready to walk in the box here. It's, uh, you know, so like, you know what's coming, uh, even if it isn't gets, even if there's like a curveball here, you know, the general idea, which is like, he likes to spend a certain amount. He doesn't really care about this. He, he doesn't uh, really necessarily want to invest in amateur players. He doesn't want to, uh, you know, beef up the size of the front office. He doesn't want to fire anybody like on the fan side, uh, you know, like Brooks Boyer and whatnot, like in terms of just either promotions going stale or just the, what sounds like, very inconsistent communication for season ticket holders and the game day experience, everything like that. So, yeah, I mean, like it it's shocking that people don't have to follow the White Sox that closely to understand how they're run. Like I was reading all these articles, like trying to pick out something that goes wrong. Cause sometimes like if I know the writer, like I'll say like, Hey, this isn't quite right. And like, I just had nothing to say. <laughs> like this is all, this is all correct. Uh, you got it. Yeah. I think my only quibble was like Stephen Goldman, a baseball prospectus, lumping in Alejandro Diaz with Adam Dunn. Like that, I will not abide because Diaz was fine. Uh, but other than that, like, yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, uh, you know, his, um, you know, the, w- the way he runs a team ensures their mediocrity. Like even if they do have a season where they win a postseason, season it's unsustainable. Like it's not going to run itself the way that other teams, when they get going, can swap out managers, can have assistants hired away from them. Like nobody ever hires White Sox assistants. Nobody ever hires White Sox coaches. Like at this point, you understand why, uh, because they have no knowledge to impart elsewhere.
1: Yeah. So, the White Sox, not only do they have an on-the-field problem, they've got off-the-field problems that they now have to address that compounds issues and just creates more doubt. And White Sox will be heading to Baltimore to start this week. We'll talk about that series later in the show. But next weekend, they're back home against Detroit. Let's see what security changes there are. But back to the fan being shot here and Bob Nightingale on Sunday. I, I feel like Bob Nightingale is just sitting on the top of mountain of White Sox information. Jim, and in every column that he's gonna write on Sundays for the USA to, USA Today is just gonna have more White Sox information. You know, he. I've got all this information. I'm not gonna do a dump yet. Mm-hmm. Just so I have enough words to fill out a column. I'm gonna release a little bit here. You know, every single week. This past Sunday, Nightingale wrote that the White Sox relocation within Chicagoland is really focused on maybe a stadium by the United Center, Soldier Field, and Arlington Heights, maybe piggybacking with the Chicago Bears, whether the Bears moving out and maybe transforming Soldier Field into a baseball stadium. That sounds like a lot of work. Or building a baseball stadium on the land of the Chicago Bears' Bought in Arlington Heights, so you not only do you have a big football stadium, but maybe you could also have a baseball stadium as well, sharing a complex. That's that's kind of the thing you moved all the way up to to Arlington Heights, and I bring that point up because while the lease expires at six years, and I know you you wrote about this, Jim, that maybe it's a fool's errand to continue having this type of conversation until. Things get a lot more serious when it comes to having some type of deadline or a deadline approaching. But I feel what happened on Friday night, the White Sox are totally going to use this justification to move away from 35th and Shields. And out of those three, mm-hmm. like moving next to the United Center makes the most sense. There are there's movement going on real estate wise by the United Center. One Jerry Reinsdorf's real estate company has just purchased a pretty large parking lot for 1.4 million dollars earlier this month. So he's already making real estate investments by the United Center, by the Blackhawks practice facility, uh, which is uh, right by Malcolm X College. There's that huge empty lot they are now developing a multi-level parking garage for that lot that could help support the united center or you that could be one of the primary parking structures near the united center and you could use the one of the huge parking lots to build a baseball stadium right next to the united center so chicago could be like other metro areas in which they could have multiple professional sports teams facilities right next to each other the Bulls the Blackhawks and the White Sox theoretically would be all there and the Bulls and Blackhawks have full year facilities there the Bulls have a uh, practice facility next to United Center and of course the Blackhawks have their practice facility their ice rink outside the United Center as well uh, so everything will be right there in the West Loop for pretty much all the Chicago franchises with the exception of the the Chicago Cubs. But I do feel like they're going to use this event in a few years as a reason why they need to relocate from 35th and shields. And that's a bit heartbreaking.
2: Yeah. That was one of my um, apprehensions. Unfortunately, like, you know, it's remained, speculative like in terms of we're talking about like they haven't done it yet but i was waiting for like this is why nashville needs to happen or like nashville has its own problems i won't get into them but like when it comes to just you know the uh the timing being in the same week uh relocating like i thought you know you might see the white Sox be rather callous in that regard or or, you know sports radio etc but it seems like everybody's uh, behave themselves in terms of just not getting out way too it trying to spin a tragedy into like a business leverage. Not even full, tra- well, yeah. I guess it is kind of a tragedy, but it's like could have been a, a tragedy. Could have been the White Sox. I think, yeah, I think that you can consider yourself more lucky than tragic that like nothing worse happened. But yeah, I was I was kind of bracing for like you know, aside from the normal chuds, you know, saying like oh Chicago, ha ha ha, um, like. The discourse, I think, was pretty responsible. And most people were just trying to figure out what happened versus trying to spread rumors or saying like, you know, this is I heard this happened or, you know, I heard it was a, you know, it came from inside the stadium or, you know, the friend of a person of a babysitter who was at the game, you know, like that kind of you know hearsay. I didn't see too much of that. So that was good. And yeah, I think this is going to be stored away though. Um, Cause people still remember like the, you know, whether it's rumors, whether it's more of just like, you know, gunshots in the uh, stadium seats when the White Sox are building new Comiskey mm-hmm. park you know, because the Robert Taylor homes were across the street and are across the Dan Ryan, um, you know, that came back up. So this will be stored in the collective memory to be brought up at some point or another, but you know, at least it wasn't used right away. There was some, you know, general, sensitivity in terms of just like now is not the time to parlay that into uh you know real estate talk but you know among those three locations i think you know united center you know i i saw the stories too about reinsdorf buying parking lots also uh he's bought the stadium broadcasting network or like the multi-platform streaming network and like that's headquartered in the united center so like That's another reason why, you know, if they're going to be handling White Sox broadcasts, whatever form White Sox broadcasts take, whether they're streaming first, whether they're actually, you know, another form of RSN on cable networks, like that's right there too. So I do think the West Loops makes a lot of sense, uh, especially if you own land, especially if there is, you know, a way to maybe build some of that ballpark village or sports village, uh, they're talking about, uh, in sounds like, you know, with the words is like he has a really good partnership with them to where, you know, there'll be some cooperation and maybe some, they can pool funds together to expand on real estate. So that does seem promising more so than Arlington Heights, given that Arlington Heights already <laughs> yeah, is I don't
1: you know, see that happening.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, one, you have the bears, like not sure if they're going to actually commit to that. Then you have like, that's probably trends a little bit too far North to, uh, where the Cubs wouldn't ha- it would have a problem with that. I think the West loop is fine for the Cubs, but I think like start, when you start getting Arlington Heights, like that might be a little bit of like, um, you know, stay on your side of the city. Right. It will be fine. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: yeah. Nate Preville, That's the suburb. The Cubs would want the white socks uh, to move to further away yeah. from Wrigley field. But yeah, it's just this week though, man, it, so much has happened. And I'm, I'm very grateful for everyone that continues coming to soxmachet.com for all those that interact with us on social media, for those that continue listening to us, because this is overwhelming, Jim. Mm-hmm. Like, if you were like a casual fan, like, for example, I'm a meatball fan of the San Francisco 49ers. I, I wouldn't say I would die hard. Like, I know everything about the 49ers and all their thinking and you got cuts coming on Tuesday and these are the guys that got to get cut. I got no clue. I don't care. Like as long as Brock Mm -hmm. Purdy is healthy, I'm, I'm fine. If this happened with San Francisco, I would just tune out the 49ers for like six months. (laughs) I just, this is too much, man. Like you're supposed to be a distraction for real life, but I get it. I get it. White Sox fans are turned off.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember, I think probably the closest analog in terms of just like, Actively alienating your fan base is probably the Jim Boylan Bulls. Um, just yeah. how well he's a terrible coach, but also like a laughing stock. Like an active, like nobody knows what the hell this guy is talking about. His players clearly don't respect him. He's pretty much either uh, you know, he's out of his elements like, you know, his lies are not convincing when he tries lying. Uh, they're immediately debunked by players like just there's there's nothing to like here. And eventually that resulted in him being fired and, and Garpax going and everything. But it's like, so I think you had the Garpax moment in terms of like Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn being fired. Uh, but like, it is that kind of moment of just as a Bulls fan, and, like, I would say I'm a Bulls casual. Like, I don't watch many games because they're not on here. And, like, you know, I, I enjoy following basketball. I enjoy reading about it. Watching a full game, not necessarily my thing, but I enjoy, like, the way basketball works. I enjoy the way people write about it. But, like, reading about the Jim Boylan Bulls is funny as hell. Like, especially, like, you had you know, you know Ricky O'Donnell and bloggable and everything like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, Joe Cowley and his elements in terms of, like, you know, uh, rabble-rousing and muckraking and everything like that. Like, it was, it was enjoyable. So, I mean, like, you know, the problem with the White Sox is, like, you know, Pedro Graffal, he's has a lot of Boylan-esque qualities. He sure does. Especially, like, the, <laughs> the, 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 the butt-kissing thing. Like, you know, once Lawrence said that, uh, you yeah, know, Lawrence uh, Holmes on his radio show said that, you know, he, he said, in like, a Jimmy Pearsall voice, like, he's an ass-kisser. Like, you know, And, like, reading previous coverage, like, Oh, yeah. Now now I see a through line. Now I see like he invokes Jerry Reinsdorf an awful lot for somebody who is like levels removed from reporting to him. Mm -hmm. And then like I read that story. I missed the story initially that he was he spent his one game suspension in the owner suite two weeks before Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn get fired and Gryffalos. So just like, oh, it's, you know, that's Boylan-esque because John Greenberg likened him to Jim Boylan without, you know, explicitly saying the butt kissing part. But like but Grafal's not that fun. He's, he's not that you have to make your own fun with Grafal because he's boring and just has nothing to say to fans. Whereas like Boylan was just a cartoon character lunkhead. Uh, So like, I enjoyed like reading him. I enjoyed like his befuddled smirk during press conferences and like trying to uh, talk his way out of it, which was impossible for Jim Boylan. He can talk his way out of a paper bag. So like, you know, I enjoy that. And like the White Sox just, they lack the levity. They lack like the, 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 Comic nature that the Bulls sank to, the Sox are just sad.
1: They sure are. So let's try to bring into the present right now, leading up to this week. Which you know, what else could possibly go wrong for the White Sox? I may regret saying that or asking that question aloud. Uh, I don't know what else could go wrong, but maybe tomorrow yeah. the stadium implodes. Uh, yeah, in the words of
2: Buddy Bell. uh, Yeah. I never say it can't get any worse.
1: <laughs> Maybe that should be a new law for us. It can't, it can't get any worse. <laughs> Take a look around you, Ellen. We're at the threshold of hell. <laughs> uh, so speaking, it could get worse. The Bob Nigel report. So according to Nigel, which he wrote this with, with like a level of certainty that you really don't see, especially in the national level, Jim, unless they mm-hmm. know the press release is coming out in like an hour. Like, Bob Nightingale is certain this is what's going to happen. Chris Getz is going to take over for Rick Hawn and Kenny Williams. Dane Moore is going to leave his advisory role with the Texas Rangers, where I think he's advising Chris Young. And he's going to serve as the caddy for Chris Getz. Pedro Gafal to stay as the manager for the White Sox. And Tony La Russa who is still under contract. So he's still on the payroll for the Chicago White Sox. He's either Jerry Reinstorf's advisor or because he's still getting paid. He's continuing to hang out with Jerry Reinsdorf and is providing advice that Jerry is heeding. So there's some speculation throughout Chicago that it's Tony La Russa maybe recommending Dane Moore to help out Chris Getz while Chris Getz may have talked himself into replacing Rick Connick, Kenny Williams, but nothing Mm -hmm. is certain. And after a brief Mike Rizzo rumor in which Nightingale did report that the White Sox did not even ask for permission to interview Mike Rizzo. uh, I think Rizzo just used the job opening with the White Sox as leverage to help sweeten his deal, but he's staying with the Washington Nationals. And there's no other rumored outside options right now tied to the White Sox job opening. So let's guess here, Jim. What are the chances that Bob was fed correct information and in this plan of Chris Getz and Dane Moore does come to fruition? It feels like
2: Getz, given that he's already here, feels pretty certain. Um, and when it comes to like that kind of wording, when it comes to people in-house, when it comes to uh unpopular decisions that you know involve Jerry Reinsdorf and, and Nightingale relaying them certainly, like Yeah. It's uh, I tend to, I'm bracing for it. I'll put it that way. Like there is a chance, like maybe it doesn't come to fruition. kind of like when, you know, I guess the one I'm thinking of is like Chris Johnson briefly being thought of as the batting coach and like, why Frank Manacchino was Charlotte's hitting coach. And now he's going to be like, that didn't work. So why are you just promoting the Charlotte hitting coach? And it turns out he was assistant. Like I can't see a situation where maybe gets is the assistant like he, he's the Rick Conroy and somebody else is the single decision maker over him. But like, I am planning for it. I, I think, you know, Dayton Moore might be the looser one just because he is another organization at this point, like that requires some motion and some, some buy-in that needs the last for, uh more to, you know, come over, especially since it wouldn't, I'm guessing it wouldn't be like a, a sure promotion. Like, uh, you know, usually like when a, team uh let's go of employees because they are going to a higher position i'm not sure this would be a higher position than the one he currently occupies with the rangers uh depending on how loose it is but um the one thing you know in terms of i'm looking for hope that this is completely wrong you know besides the fact that like nightingale talks to reinsdorf uh Larusa independently talks to nightingale a lot like they are tight so right. like if you're looking for like hope that this isn't right or this is like half correct and the White Sox actually do have a better idea, I think it would be something like Larusa coming back, you know, after his treatments and like getting out over his skis. You know, basically saying, like, hey, I think this is gonna happen. I think, you know, I just started talking to Jerry, like he's down with Gets. He likes Dayton Morris is gonna happen. Like it's not quite there. Or like, you know, Reinsorf has something bigger in mind that LaRusa isn't privy to, and uh he doesn't quite have all the information correct. Uh so Reinsdorf maybe is, you know, maybe Larusa's feeding Nightingale some of this and and not all of it's coming directly from Reinsdorf. But it is like a it is it does feel like grasping for a better angle um than than just like hoping that Nightingale's entirely wrong because when it comes to unpopular decisions that nobody likes, that involves uh, for and Larusa. He's typically correct about it because I think he can verify it, uh, with two different people independently coming at it from different angles.
1: Yep. Well said, Jim. Well said. Yeah, I th- I agree with you. Larusa is a pretty strong source and has been one of Nighengale's stronger sources yeah. about the White Sox <laughs> all season long.
2: Yeah. Well, even like going back to when. LaRusso was hired and then the DUI stuff came out, and Nightingale was on podcasts and radio interviews saying, well, Arizona's DUI laws are too strict. Like, you know, he basically had a really thorough knowledge of how uh, you know, Arizona DUI laws are stricter than most states. And like, yeah, it's, you yeah, know, that's definitely going to the mat for the guy. And like, yeah, it, it's he made it clear pretty uh made it abundantly clear early in the Tony LaRusso return of like yeah, just exactly how invested he is in LaRusse. And every time like LaRusse is in the news or like the White Sox in the news, he talks about like how, you know, Tony LaRusse did a great job with the White Sox, even though he was falling asleep in the dugout and couldn't be heard by his yeah you know, players and such. Like just, you know, they, they,
1: yeah, it's, they're tight. They are very tight. So again, we'll see. We'll see if that official word comes. I, I feel like if this is going to be the case, just announce it. Don't drag everyone for the ride. And pretend that you're making this faint attempt in doing a thorough interview process and trying to find the best candidate possible to replace Rick and Kenny Williams. Like, I don't know how long Jerry Reinstorf is going to be the owner, right? We could be doing this on a dance in a couple of years. Uh, if you have a new chairman or a a brand new sole owner who wants their guy, uh, to run operations, so whoever they pick is not going to be around for a long time. Here for a fun time, not for a long time. So we'll see if Bob Nightingale is right. And it is Chris Getz taking it over for Kenny Williams, Rick Hahn. And I will tell you this, Jim and I would hate that. But there's a lot of things that we do not like concerning the Chicago White Sox. But we love you guys. So thank you, as always, to continue listening to us. To continue to read us. To continue following us. Misery loves company. And hopefully we are still good company at Sox Machine. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. But coming up next, let's talk about what's happened on the field for the White Sox as they padded their numbers on Saturday and Sunday against Oakland pitching. Mike Clevenger may have made himself some more money in this upcoming offseason with the way that he pitched against the Athletics. And the White Sox take on the best team in the American League next on the Sox Machine podcast. The biggest acts are visiting Chicago this summer, on top of all the baseball games and other great concerts, theater shows, too. It can be quite the chore and headache trying to secure tickets to all of these shows and events. Buying tickets shouldn't be stressful. Use Game Time to purchase your tickets. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, theater near you. They've got killer deals on last-minute tickets, and their best-price guarantee helps eliminate stressing over tickets. If you find tickets in the same section or even row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. That's why GameTime is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country. Download the GameTime app, create your account, and get $20 off your first purchase using our promo code SOCKSMACHINE. Terms and conditions apply. Again, create an account and use our promo code SOCKSMACHINE for $20 off your first ticket purchase. GameTime Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, so let's talk about what actually happened on the field for the Chicago White Sox as they do salvage a split against the Oakland Athletics, which I guess is fine to split a four-game series, but losing the season series to a historically awful Oakland A's team that's going through their own stuff right now uh, on and off the field is embarrassing for the Chicago White Sox. But hey, Facing mediocre pitching on Saturday and Sunday helped pad some numbers for the White Sox. And, you know, let's start with the Andrew Benintendi Jim, because in this seven game homestand, uh, he had one home run against Seattle. Uh, and I think he hit a couple against Oakland. He had three home runs this homestand. Now, what's the significance of that? He had two home runs of the season <laughs> before this homestand. So is this just a matter of that hand starting to feel better, or I guess as close to a hundred percent or the best it's felt all season long, or are there any type of swing adjustments you've noticed from Ben attendee?
2: I think, uh, easiest place to start is hand health, uh, especially since like, I want to say by June, maybe July, that's when he started coming up in conversation that, oh yeah, he didn't have that handmaid injury, had the surgery. Like it's not all the way back. He was finally admitting it.
1: Yeah. The Seattle series, yes. right in Seattle, he mentioned in the Apple, Pre-game production meeting with the TV crew that his hand was still bothering him. Yep. But,
2: you know, between, I think it's partially the hand or at least mostly the hand. And I would say like, you know, hot temperatures in Chicago, like ball carrying guaranteed right field, helping him with the way we thought it might help him. Like just the balls, like opposite field going to left field against the lefty and hitting it like one row deep. Like that's kind of what we thought we might see from him. Uh, that he couldn't get in, Kaufman. You know the you know when he topped out of five homers uh, with the Royals last year, and you know he was more of a gap to gap guy because he didn't see the point in trying to put the ball over the fence. Like putting the ball over the fence by accident is what we thought we would see. in, like being ninety something degrees in Chicago and humid, and and uh, the balls flying. Like he got to partake in that finally. The White Sox got some left-handed. Uh, lucky power that they're usually give up and usually don't have themselves so I think this is what the White Sox envisioned um, and you know it does give you some hope in terms of like going into next year if the White Sox do try to staple together a potential contender maybe not like maybe they're short of going for it but also like they don't see a point in tearing it down because they just have too much talent in too much well, one, too much talent, uh, and then too much talent that is would be selling low that they might as well hold on to. Um, like, say, Yohan Makata looking a little bit healthier. Eloy Jimenez, like, hanging in there physically uh, to the point where, like, probably not worth trading them. So you may as well see if they can capitalize on their upside. And if not, then they'll fall off the roster, fall off the payroll, and you can finally you know, start rebuilding. But, like, if you're going to staple together, A pseudo contender that might take advantage of weak division, like Benintendi being like a 10 to 15 home run guy, especially like somebody who hits like most of his homers at guaranteed right field would be one of the ways to have that shortcut.
1: Lenin Sosa, he hit a couple of home runs this week. And when you just look at those highlights, I could see the Lenin Sosa truthers. Being like, yeah, that's why he should play every day, not Elvis Andrews. Continue to play Lenin Sosa. Let's see if this power is for real. And even though he's hit, I think, four or five home runs now for this season, the weighted runs created plus for Lenin Sosa is below 50. And this is Oakland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, his it, home runs this weekend deserve some type of asterisk. I'm not sold on Lenin Sosa. Quite yet, Jim. And this is like his third attempt to try to prove himself at the majors. This is going a lot better than his second attempt, but I still am not convinced this is someone that you pencil in as a starting second baseman for the 2024 Chicago White Sox quite yet. How, how are you feeling about Lenin Sosa?
2: Yeah, I'm not sold because of the plate discipline issues. And as you mentioned, Oakland, but uh, it is good to see him hitting Oakland pitching, but because before, like in his previous stints, like he really could not hit anybody. Uh, Royals team that was bottoming out, like couldn't really hit them. Uh did have like one of his homers, at Kaufman, but like, you know, he just had a hard time putting anything in play with authority, no matter who was pitching righty, lefty home away, etc. So if he's beating up on bad pitching, that's definitely a start. So, he has my interest, especially since like a lot of other things don't have my interest on this team. Like, and, and ultimately, like there is that hope that he made those strides last year and really you know, added power and um, you know, added some beef to his contact. He always had a hit tool or always had like the ability to make contact, but it wasn't quite a hit tool because like it wasn't effective contact. Um, seeing an opposite field fly ball go over the right field wall, guaranteed right field. Like that's something he needs to do because like a lot of his power, a lot of his best contact goes that way. So if it goes the warning track, that's not a useful player. If it goes over the wall, there's something there. So there's a start to somebody who can hold down a roster spot. I think Baltimore will test him. Um, I'm looking forward to this series before like you know, writing anything about him. Like I'm, I'm, I'm holding off just to see like, what three games looks like. Hopefully Pedro Gafal plays him in those three games, or at least two out of three to get an idea of just what he looks like against a team that is, is firing in all cylinders. looks like a real threat in the American league. Uh, But given where Sosa has come from and the hole that he dug himself, both uh, with his experiences before the season, and then like the, the, the bad start that he had in his first stint, like it's what you want to see. I think, you know, I'm ultimately not going to be like, or I'm going to be like slightly bearish on him until like the walks, the strikeouts narrows a little bit in one direction or another. But for the time being, like having his good contact go places is I think how it starts looking like Sosa can do something. And then other things will fall in the line as he looks like more of a threat. But like before, when he was swinging over everything and rolling over pitches and popping things up the right side, like There's not much there. There's at least something here and something that warrants more playing time.
1: And then Yohan Makata, he went three for eight against Seattle, all singles, but he went seven for 15 against Oakland, including a four hit day on Sunday against the athletics where he hit a home run and hit three doubles and he drove in six RBIs. And I know some people are going to say, could this be the launching point for Yohan Makata to get hot? And we've had that conversation way too many times over the years, Jim, and only to be disappointed. But, yeah, Yohan Makata, he can hit Oakland A's pitching. I'm still unconvinced offensively that he is back or anywhere close to even, say, he's 2021 form. Like, he's still way, way off pace where he should be. And is still going to be one of the biggest questions going to next season and what he's going to be able to provide you because he is not cheap. Yeah. Uh,
2: I think there are signs of life here. Like he is pulling the ball in the air. Like even if they're not like, you know, 430 feet into the right field seats, like they're over the second baseman, they're over the first baseman, they're down the line, they're in the gaps. So like that's there versus the guy who rolled over thing or popped things up and the bat just looked really slow. So I like that. I think... Ultimately, my enthusiasm for Moncada is going to be suppressed by the fact that, you know, he's managing a back injury until like that's fully behind him and people speak with confidence, like even if they have to knock on wood, but say like, yeah, it's just like uh, our physical says he looks great. There are no present concerns. We hope it lasts, but like he's, you know, once that like leaves the conversation in terms of like an active excuse, then I might feel like optimistic about banking on him for future weeks but you know with one more very expensive year and given that he provides value defensively like there is a reason to stick with him especially in this roster where like yeah they're just gonna phase out some guys like they're not gonna be able to move on from them unless they eat a ton of money but they don't have anybody like now that Jake Berger's traded like they don't have anybody who can make great use of that playing time so they may as well stick with him but like like Benintendi hitting Homer's uh just over the right field wall, like it's another thing that, you know, is going to help the White Sox be better than they've shown is a mancata who even looks like 2021, to where like it's not Homer's, but it's doubles. And it's enough of a threat to where he starts drawing walks again because pitchers aren't afraid of him. And then he gets uh, you know, his his plate discipline plays up once more and he's not going to steal bases, but he's going to be somebody who at least runs the bases well enough and go from second to home and first to third, first to home on, on occasion. And that's at least like, you know, a four win player. It's not like a, a fun four, win player, not somebody who like gets all-star votes or anything like that, but at least it's useful and helps the White Sox in ways they're shorts, which is left-handed bats and defense. But it's going to take a, a lot more confidence and probably just entire off-season spring training and just a comprehensive update on the state of Yoan Mankata in his back. And if they say, like, yeah, he's looking great, feeling great, we don't see any structural concerns, then maybe I'll get tricked into falling for it again to where, like, yeah, this this could be a guy, and then he pulls a hamstring and is kind of you know, limping around for six weeks. But... <laughs> For the time being, I'm treating it as like back is my only concern. And that's probably going to take a full winter, but like, just like with Ben and Tenny, like if they're stuck with him and they're going to be stuck with Ben and Tendi, they're going to be stuck with Mankata for at least one more year.
1: Something's better than nothing. Tookie Tucson pitched really well for the White Sox on Saturday. Uh, and I should say Tucson and, Clevenger on Sunday pitched really well for the White Sox. So they had back-to-back really good starts. And for Clevenger, he went seven innings. He struck out 10. He only allowed one hit for the game. And he had five no-hit innings to start that contest. So we discussed this a couple podcast episodes ago uh, about Clevenger. But I do feel in this start against Oakland that it's easy to chalk it up and say it's Oakland. Like for the White Sox hitters, like I'm still skeptical of Manin Sosa (laughs) and Yohan Makata. Andrew Benatendi Mm -hmm. showing some power, I think, is good because he's been batting 270 with a 340 on base percentage for a while. It's just that he has no power, but now he's flexing for some power, so that's promising. But Clevenger, looking at the stat cast data, hitting 96, hitting 97 with his four-seam fastball, this is the type of velocity that he really hasn't had since his Tommy John surgery since I would say pre 2020. And in his last seven starts for the White Sox, Clevenger has a 2.04 ERA and suddenly has become the White Sox's best starting pitching option. Uh, and that's including Dylan Cease uh, after the trade deadline. I'm still very convinced Clevenger going to opt out of his mutual deal, get $4 million from the Chicago White Sox and go test free agency. And with this type of run, Jim, because when the White Sox signed Cleviger back in November, those that were pro for the move pointed specific timeframes of the 2022 season for Mike Clevenger when he was good saying this could be the guy the White Sox were signing where those that were not in favor of that deal, me would point on how his mm-hmm. season ended, especially the postseason, season. It'd be like, this is probably the guy who it's going to be. Well, right now for those that were pro Clevenger, maybe are getting the last laugh here because he has been pitching well for the white Sox, But I, I do think some of the conversation lately has been, are the white Sox going to pick up their side of the option? Maybe, but it doesn't matter. The ball is still in Clevenger's court. And I think he's going to take his ball, take the $4 million. But with the way he's pitching, I'm willing to wager. He may sign a larger contract than expected this offseason. I'm not, not nothing crazy, but maybe like a two-year, like $30 million contract this offseason. Like, I, I could see Mike Clevenger sign something like that. And a big reason why is how well he's been pitching in the last couple of months with the White Sox.
2: Yeah, maybe something like a vesting option where if he hits like an innings mark, then like it's it's locked in. Like there sure. could be a. But like, yeah, he's approaching 100 innings. So like, I think, you know, as long as he makes another start and doesn't leave with an injury, like he'll top 100 innings and definitely finishing this year stronger so like usually that kind of pitcher like even if he has like say some kind of injury that like eliminates him from December or September I should say like in like not like elbow or shoulder but like say like strains a hamstring or something like that or tweaks an oblique and is ultimately like scratched for the year he still probably gets one year and 10 million like that's kind of the going rate for the Injured pitcher who has shown something the year before, and there aren't any concerns about like the core parts of pitching, you know, the uh, knees, elbows, shoulders, etc. So, yeah, he'll top that. Like we saw with AJ Pollock, like <laughs> you don't have to necessarily guarantee more money for uh, somebody to want to leave a White Sox situation. But you know, for all the unpleasantness of the Clevenger signing. I suppose it's good that at least, you know, there is some, I want to say redemption in terms of like uh, you know, everything is it gets touched, but just in terms of like the White Sox at least saw talent, at least that talent manifested itself. Uh, cause if they signed like a total jerk and he was bad and just like he had nothing to offer, and then you say, like, what are you doing? But at least like they saw the talent there and were right about that. They hit on that well enough to where like, okay. Just, you know, do better vetting next time in terms of the you know, person you're acquiring, the baggage he might be bringing and have a better idea of like whether it's past him or whatnot and not be caught you know blindsided by uh, what he might have done in previous stops. But um, at least, you know, the, having seen him get better and better basically each passing month and even coming back from the injury, because I thought the injury... Uh, And and the bicep issue and missing six weeks, I thought like, oh, it was fun while it lasted. But seeing him come back from that without an IL stint. And I now wonder if some teams are like maybe kicking themselves and not like trying to trade for him more. Because he only had one start, I believe, between the injury and the the trade deadline to where like he couldn't, uh, teams couldn't feel confident about him like being somebody who makes a postseason start. But now he looks like a guy who might be able to do that, especially for like, an Orioles type team that is maybe a little bit short on starters and can use help wherever like the Rays or another team that can use help in their rotation. So yeah, it's uh you know, it's, it's at least nice that he's validated the signing with his talent and, you know, we won't have, we won't be talking about it much longer because yeah, I think he's past the point where as long as it's not a shoulder or an elbow uh, or another knee issue that turns into something chronic, then yeah, just he's, He's proven it and uh, the strikeouts taking them and, and like, especially like talking about Oakland, like Dylan Cease uh, throwing the start that he did basically eliminates like the, well, it's Oakland excuse because like, you know, Tukey too is pitching awful. well. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, Clevenger pitching well, like they show like, you know, Dylan Cease showed there's a baseline of like performance they have to show against the major league team in order to throw five shutout innings in order to throw seven innings of one hit ball. Like, yeah, it's just, that's uh you know, cease provided the counterpoint of just what it looks like when you're just not there. And Clevenger looks like he's there.
1: Well, let's talk about those Baltimore Orioles as the Chicago white Sox visit Baltimore for this series upcoming Monday through Wednesday, the white Sox will have Thursday off. That'll be their first day off in a couple of weeks. And the Orioles lead the season series. They won two out of three in Chicago in mid-April, long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, April, 2023, where we thought, man, it can't get any worse than this. (laughs) Fools. Mm -hmm. The Orioles are 81 and 49. They have the best record in the American league. They have won seven of their last 10 games and the pitching problems for this series, on Monday night at 6.05 p.m. Central Time, it's Michael Kopech against Grayson Rodriguez. Tuesday night at 6.05 p.m. Central Time, it's Jesse Schultz against Dean Kremer. And then on Wednesday afternoon getaway day, this is a 12.05 p.m. Central Time start, so you might have to listen to it on the radio if you're at work. Dylan Cease will make the start for the White Sox against Kyle Gibson. I have no hopes for this series for the White Sox, Jim. I am fully expecting them to get swept by Baltimore, but how do you feel? Or I guess, what are you going to be watching for in these games at Baltimore? Well, I'll be watching the Orioles. <laughs> yeah, like I'm yeah, enjoying that's a good point. Like, yeah. the good play. Like I'm best looking team in the American league. Let's watch well, so...
2: them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them cause I don't watch too much of them. I see all the highlights I've seen. Like uh, some of their prospects come up through Norfolk, like seeing them come up and play the Nashville sounds and, uh, you know, paying close attention to when they're on the field. I'm looking forward as a baseball fan, as uh, somebody who, you know, knock on wood, will probably, if the White Sox are good again in the near future, they'll have to deal with this Orioles team, You know, assuming John Angelo doesn't run them on the ground uh, just out of pure uh, cheapness and petulance and everything that he's pulling right now, like trying to make this as miserable as possible, like for the, the what should be the feel-good story of the American League. Um, Looking forward to that, first of all, the talent. Also, like looking forward to... Um, just seeing whether the White Sox can maintain anything from the last two games into the series. Because, like, I am amused now. I You have to make your own fun with Pedro Grafal because nothing about him is fun. Or But when it comes to, like, he, you know, the way he tries to fill airtime and struggles, like, how many times he said, like, we're building something or how many times he said like, you know, that's unacceptable or we have to tighten this up or we have to like everything he says to get by a night or by himself like a 30 seconds. You know, he's been doing it basically every other day. I'm just, yeah, I want, I want to, I'm paying more closely, uh, I'm paying closer attention to that now just because of this whole butt kissing thing and just how he shapes answers and tries to like, how he tries to appeal to the people he's really playing towards. Like he's not playing towards fans. He's not playing towards the media. He's basically playing towards Jerry Reinsdorf. So now I'm paying close attention to that. And if the White Sox do get waxed by the Orioles, like I'm, I'm not looking forward to watching Kopech I am just, you know, kind of morbidly curious about how he'll look against the Orioles at Camden. Um, you know, if they lose like 13 to three and Dylan Cease another terrible outing and just, I want to just over the next few weeks, just really pay. Yeah. You, know, uh, you know, we watch the white Sox. So you don't have to, I will read Pedro Grafal's comments and I will listen to his post game comments. So you don't have to, just because like, if he is <laughs> hanging around, like I really want to be as confident as possible that this guy's got nothing. Cause that's, you know, basically how I'm leaning is like, I don't see anything about redeeming about, you know, this experience whatsoever. But uh, yeah, yeah, every time something good happens, it's like he gets temporarily a little bit puffed up and like, yeah, this is what we're looking for. And then immediately tougher competition just, you know, knocks him back down to nothing. And uh, should the Orioles stomp him? Like, yeah, at least I want to see what uh, Griffal has to say.
1: Well, let's take a quick look at the playoff picture in Major League Baseball and share a couple of series that Jim and I are going to be paying attention to outside of the White Sox at Orioles. In the American League, speaking of Baltimore, they have a game-and-a-half lead over Tampa Bay. What a race that is in the American League East. Again, Again, the Orioles are 81-49. The Rays are 80-52. at 52. The Rays have won eight of their last 10 games. The Orioles have won seven of their last 10 games. So both teams are red hot at the moment. So that's going to make a great race to the top of the American League East. The American League West, holy cow, Jim. Seattle, in the last 10 games, has made up five games of the Houston Astros. And eight games on the Texas Rangers. The Seattle Mariners have won nine of their last ten games. The Rangers have lost nine of their last ten games. What a reversal of fortune. So the Mariners are leading the American League West. They would be the number two seed if the season were to end today. And they would have a first-round bye with the postseason format. Texas is currently in second place. And they are a, like one hundredth of a percentage point ahead of the Houston Astros in the American League West standings. So you have these three teams within two games of each other in the American League West. What a wild last month it's going to be and how that works itself out in the American League West. Like Texas is really fading fast and, they were the, one of the heartfelt stories. And I thought, you know, they got some potential to really shock some people in the American League postseason, but they got to make it because uh, the Toronto Blue Jays are currently mm-hmm. out of the playoff race right now. They're two and a half games back at Houston for the final wildcard spot. So, and then of course the Minnesota Twins are 68 and 63. They're five games above 500, but they have a six game lead in the American League Central. It is like a foregone collu- uh, conclusion that the Twins are going to win the American League Central and the reward is probably a first-round matchup to whoever finishes third in the American League West between Seattle, Texas, and Houston. So the odds of the Twins' postseason drought of winning a game since 2004 probably is going to continue. That's just how I feel. So any thoughts of the American League playoff picture, Jim, before we hop over to the National League? Uh, well, I'm
2: curious about the Rangers. Like, Bruce Bochy, when the Rangers were got off the hot start, everybody like looked at the White Sox and said, like they could have hired Bruce Bochy. And I'm skeptical that was ever possible if the White Sox wanted to, because Bochy had a connection with Chris Young. And I think that was a big part of it was like the Rangers having deep pockets and Chris Young having a personal pull and, you know, Bochy coming back in the game. But if the Rangers do fade and given how surprising they were, if they faded back to 500 by the end of the year, close to it, I mean like that would basically be what the projection said they're going to be. So, I mean, like there is the argument that, yeah, they're way too good early on. And this is just the 162 game season um, doing what the 162 game season does. So like, I am now fascinated by that because like if Bochy has this big collapse, then it'll be like, yeah, like he would have helped the white Sox. Like <laughs> just it's uh yeah, the, the, A lot of times just the the roster ultimately determines uh, what a team is going to do and a manager can only do so much. Uh, The Twins, I think, they play the Guardians this week. So this would be their opportunity to just like put the division away. I think the Guardians are asking for it. (laughs) The Twins are playing well enough to do it. So uh, if the Twins are going to be the best of the worst... Then like then they would take care of business and win the series. If the AL Central truly is not going to have a distinguishing team, this is when the Guardians sweep them, and all of a sudden, like the the twins lose all the steam they had and just like, oh, here we go again. So I'm not going to watch that series just because, like, I've, you know, it's the AL Central. Like, there's so much good baseball going on that yeah, why would you exactly. subject yourself do to that. it? But just like I'm going to be <laughs> watching the results. Like, I'm going to be keeping, I'm going to be scoreboard watching them just to see. You know, if Minnesota is actually going to take control of this or if it is going to be, uh, you know, allowing Cleveland to come back into it the way like the White Sox, like they did that with the Twins in 2008. Like they had an opportunity to bury the Twins and the Twins swept them, you know, like and and, and pulled back, Uh, actually pulled ahead of the White Sox in that like last week or so of the season. So AL Central, AL Central sometimes. And this would be a series to where like, yep, just... Uh, when you thought they were out or when you thought you are in, they pull you back out. Like, that's going to be how the Central goes.
1: And then over in the National League, the Atlanta Braves have the best record in Major League Baseball. They lost Sunday night to the San Francisco Giants, so they're 84-45 and 45 on the season. Los Angeles Dodgers, man, what a great job with all the injuries that they have dealt with. Mookie Betts is having an amazing August, Jim. An amazing August. The Dodgers are 80-49. and 49. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers have won eight straight games and they have a four game lead over the Chicago Cubs of the National League Central and those two teams play to start this week so that's one of the series I'm going to be watching. The Phillies are still the number four seed right now they're three and a half games ahead of the sixth seed which the Cubs would be the fifth seed at 69 at 61 but a half game back of the Cubs is the Arizona Diamondbacks. Here come the Diamondbacks again. They've won mm-hmm. eight of their last 10 games. And then you got Cincinnati, a game and a half back. You got the Giants, they're 67 and 63 on the season. Uh, so they're a game and a half back of Arizona. And you got Miami, they're, they've they gotten cold real quick. They need to really heat up here. They're, they're fading a bit. They're 66 at 65, but they're three games back of Arizona. Milwaukee, Chicago Cubs play this week. Cincinnati and San Francisco play this week, Arizona and Los Angeles Dodgers play this week. Jim, the White Sox Orioles games will be on one screen for me, but I assure you the games of the national league this week will also definitely be on my screen. I will be staying up late watching that Arizona Dodgers games this week. What other games are you going to be paid attention
2: to? It's uh, looking at the wildcard hunt. Like it's nice that, yeah, there was a period, like, after the trade deadline to where, like, does any team want it? Every team's kind of scuffling. Uh, the Diamondbacks especially had a really rough uh, go of it after the deadline. And look looked like, yeah, is Cincinnati going to uh, fall apart? Do they look like they're too young and not ready for it yet? And then they ride the ship. And uh, so, like, all of a sudden, like, the field that looked like maybe it was, like, one or two teams beyond the division leaders is now, like, running at least six deep, seven, eight sometimes. So, yeah, I think I'm most intrigued by the Arizona Dodgers series just because, like, this could be a series where the Dodgers knock the Diamondbacks down a peg like they do oftentimes in the NL West like they did with the Padres a couple years ago. That was a case of just, like, yeah, the Padres, you're not ready yet to conk and, like, knock them down the standings and, like, not recover. So they've been the bully before, and they could bully the Diamondbacks again. Um, Cincinnati, like, every time, like – Basically, it seems like every 10th tweet is an Ellie Dela Cruz highlight. So, I mean, they're still feisty, even if uh, sometimes they're a little bit shorthanded in terms of proven talent. But, yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying, as a baseball fan, uh, the depth of that. I think right now, like, the Giants are maybe, like, the team I'm least invested in. Yeah, I guess you can say the Cubs just because, yeah, the Cubs. But, like, in terms of where the Giants are at, they, they seem like the least fun team. They always seem like they're just kind of barely holding it together. People aren't happy with Gabe Kapler. The talent isn't scintillating. It just you know it's a well composed roster to ensure a high floor, but you don't have like the dynamic game breaking talent that the other teams have. So I think I'm least invested in them. I can least appreciate how sturdy they are, even when they do have injury issues and they do have like just a lack of fun talent. Uh, they they do seem to. Outperform projections in a way like I wish the White Sox could.
1: Again, there's still some great baseball to be watching. I know the NFL season's coming up. People are talking about their fantasy football drafts and gearing up for week one. College football has also started. There's a lot of football. But don't overlook some of these games, especially this week. There's still going to be some quality baseball. Even though the White Sox are not interesting on the field right now, we're going to be talking about what else is happening around Major League Baseball once all the drama off the field for the White Sox subsides. So that's something you can look forward to at the Sox Machine podcast. But that will do it for this episode of the show. Thank you guys so much for listening. And again, if anything else dramatic happens with the Chicago White Sox, we'll always have emergency podcasts for you as well. And of course, we'll be covering the team every single day online at SoxMachine.com. But if you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload our podcasts into our YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Machine. You can follow us on social media, X, formerly known as Twitter, Instagram threads facebook we're at socks machine or you can follow me on those platforms at socks machine underscore josh if you enjoy our work and you want more you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash where Patreon supporters get exclusive content add free versions of both the podcast and the website and the new socks machine swag when it's uploaded into the socks machine store
2: also, for those who support us at the three wins above replacement tier, uh, the PO socks mailbag is open, so send me your questions, and I'll put together a mailbag exclusive to Patreon supporters this week.
1: Awesome. I'm sure you're going to get some very interesting questions, Jim. And if you want to be one of those, uh, submit a question. Again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash machine. The three war tiers is $3 a month. Or you could save with an annual subscription. We do have some spots open still for our veterans committee. That's like our board of directors. So if you want to know the inner workings of SoxMachine.com, if you want to be our bounce board where Jim and I bounce ideas off of you guys on how we run the site, how we run the show, if you're interested in doing that, you can apply again on Patreon.com slash SoxMachine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of socksmachine.com. You're on for all of the Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality.